We need to come together at least once a week. And I know many of you don't comfortable coming here uh, physically, but you're joining us online. And I want to encourage you tonight to not be a spectator. It's so tempting when you're sitting home to go get a Coke or something else and sit there and just kind of be a spectator. But you won't get much out of that and we won't get much value and God won't get much value if you're a spectator. The wonderful thing about prayer is there's no distance in it. So you can be just as much a part of this prayer meeting tonight in your living room as you would be if you were here. But we're grateful for those that have come tonight. I want to remind you of Sunday. We're changing our schedule. We're changing what we're doing. We're trying to do this in response to this, the changes in what we're allowed to do and the changes in, 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 um, in just this moving, constantly moving target. Uh, as I shared on a video two weeks ago on Sunday, and I shared this last Sunday uh, again, this Sunday we're going to go to two services again. This is just temporary. It's while we're working our way through this journey. Um, but what we're going to do is the first service will start at 9, not 9.30, but at 9 o'clock. And it's for those people that are, that are not comfortable coming to a service where people take their masks off at any part of the service. So the requirement will be that if you're coming first service on Sunday, that you must wear your mask from the time you walk in that door to the time you leave. And wearing the mask means you wear it all the way from your nose down over your chin. And, and if, if you can't do that, we understand, and that's why we've designed a second service, which will start at 11, and that service, the rule for that service is exactly what the, the state requires or permits us to do now. You're required to wear your mask coming in. Uh, you're going to have to practice social distancing in here, the way we've got things divided off. People have done pretty well with that. And then uh, you'll need to wear your mask during praise and worship because whatever it is that infects one another, they found projects much further when we're singing. But once we finish praise and worship and we're all settled down and, and, um, and we're ready to go into the message, then you're permitted to take your mask off or pull it down or whatever you want to do with it, stick it on top of your head. But when we dismiss, you're going to, before you leave your seat, you're going to need to put it back on again. That's what our, the law requires. If you're coming second service, what you're going to find out is you're going to come in one way while the first service is leaving through another way so that you're not interacting with one another. And we'll be people there to help you and to assist you. So this will be the first Sunday we do that. We're just believing that all the kinks will be worked out and just be patient with us because this is uncharted territory for all of us. And so that's what we're going to do. The reason I'm doing that is I've really become aware of the importance of being able to see one another. We can't physically touch one another. We can't communicate with our masks off, but at least there's a value in just seeing one another. And so that's why we're doing this. And I want to try to accommodate people's different levels of what they're comfortable with. There's some people that will not come if there are people taking their masks off at any point. And I understand that. And I, I respect that. But there are other people that say, I can't sit here for that length of time with my mask on. I understand that. And I respect that. We are going to shorten the services down. So the first service, we have to, because we have to have time in between services to do a cleaning job. We've got Doug all lined up with his spray and his, his cleansers to go through and do the cleaning that needs to be done. So if you're coming second service, you won't be able to get in until that has been done. So we've made provision so that you can be safely waiting to come in. We're doing the best we can to keep everybody safe 
and to accommodate where people's comfort zone is so that we can get through this and maintain a connection together. So, again, this is temporary. It's our, our intention is once we can, this is past and we can come and meet together in a more normal setting, that we will go back to one service because there's a real sense of community we get by doing that. And that's why we did all the changes in the cafe last year and all the things we've done to try to set that up. And so when we can, we will go back to that. All right, let's get into prayer. We want to share something with you before we actually start praying. I, um, I want to share with you a little bit of the journey that I've been going through uh, about prayer lately. I've, I've always prayed. I've, been a, I've got a, a devotion time every morning, and I'll pray during the day at different times, especially with different situations. But, but intercession has never, come, never really been a strong point with me. I'll pray for my family, I'll pray for concerns that I have, seek God's wisdom, pray for direction for the church, those kinds of things. And I felt that it was uh, several months ago, on a Wednesday night, I showed the video, or we showed the video, of back in the 80s of, of Pastor Jim Simbala, the wonderful uh, Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn uh, Tabernacle Church in, in, um, in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, and, an amazing message he did back in the 80s at a praise gathering about prayer. It's the most powerful thing on prayer that I've ever seen as a, as a video. And it really struck me. I've seen it before, but it really struck me. I went back and I watched it again. I really felt God calling me again to call this church to prayer and to prayer together, to learn how to pray together. And that's more difficult now because it's not as easy for all of us to come together. But we need to learn how to pray, how to intercede. So I began to just ask God to teach me how to effectively intercede. Because I basically didn't have confidence. I'd pray for people and, you know, and I didn't see much answer. So it's easy to give up when that happens. Instead of what I talked about several weeks ago, going back to God and saying, why am I not seeing answers? Instead of just giving up. So I began to do that. I began to, it's amazing when you really want to know, God will teach you and show you some things. One of the things God began to teach me is there's only one way to learn how to pray, and that's to pray. It's to actually get down and begin to pray. And when you begin to do that, the Spirit of God will help teach you how for you to pray the way He has for you to pray. And that's why we can't just hand out some prayer manual that this is how you pray because He may lead you. He knows you. He knows what He wants you praying for. He may lead you to pray in a different way. But that's not going to happen the first time you do it. It's not going to happen when you give Him five minutes and say, Lord, take care of me today. Take care of my family. Bless the nation. Solve these problems. I'll see you later. It really takes a decision to put a time some side, put aside some time and to begin to just get on your knees, or however gives you a chance to focus in. There's no rule of whether you stand. One of the scriptures we're going to read tonight talks about standing and lifting up holy hands. You can pray in your car, you can pray in your bed, as long as you don't go to sleep. The key that I found is to find a position that allows you to focus in, inward, in you. And for me, that requires me either be on my knees or what I've started to do lately is I'll just lay flat on the floor in our bedroom. I've got a little blanket I lay out, and I just lay flat with my face in the floor, in the, in the carpet. And that 
covers, gets rid of every distraction except every once in a while. Molly comes in and sniffs me to figure out what I'm, trying to, what I'm doing. So I encourage you to set a place aside because when you come back to that same place every day, it's like you've already created an, an atmosphere where your, your body and your mind are already tuned in to doing that. And then I would get there and say, all right, now what, what, you know, what do I pray for? And what came to mind is that this novel concept is what about praying what the Word says to pray for? So that's what we're going to go to tonight. I want to show you what the Word says about prayer. And here's one of the issues that I want to talk about tonight, but even more so on Sunday. Your prayer life will be more effective when you submit it to the Word of God. When you submit what you're praying for and how you're praying to the way God's told us to pray. God's given us instructions in His Word to pray. But we're living in a generation at a time, especially in those of us that have come out of the charismatic renewal and the Word of Faith movement and all of these where we're just so attuned to being led by the Spirit that whatever God's telling you to me to do is what He's telling me to do and you do whatever you want to do. And we ignore what God's told us to do. Now there's a lot of freedom in what we can pray, but there are some things God has told us to do, and I want to start with the first thing God instructed me to pray for, because He's the first thing in His Word He's told us to pray for, and it's, we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and then we're going to go a few verses, and then we're going to go back to the end of chapter 1. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Now understand the context here. Paul is writing to Timothy at a time that's not unlike what we're in right now. The church had, had exploded in the beginning. 3,000 were added the first day, 5,000. Then its church has grown tremendously. And then there was a persecution came in on the church. And Timothy is really a second-generation pastor. And he was a pupil under Paul. And Paul is now in prison writing this letter to him. And Timothy is the young boy who's pastor of the church in Ephesus. And, and the the, the, the Times have changed. It's no longer popular to be a Christian. The times have changed. There's persecution against the church. His church was shrinking. There were problems in the church. So he is left as a young pastor, pastoring a church that's in some degree of distress, let alone the fact that there were people posting things about him on Facebook that he was too young to do this. And so where people always tell you, you're too young, you're too old, you're too this, you're too that. People, I don't want to get in that. People have their own opinions other than what God has said to do. So anyway, so Paul is writing this to this young son in the faith, Timothy, who's a struggling pastor. And the second letter he writes is especially to that because he's now afraid, he's dealing with a criticism about himself. But Paul is writing this, giving him some basic instruction for the church. And chapter 2 begins this way. Therefore, I exhort you first of all, that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men and for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. There is so much in there about prayer. But before we get into that verse, I want to look at the first word, therefore. I learned a long time in studying the Bible Whenever you see the word therefore, ask what it's there for. 
it's always referring back to what he just said. It's connecting what he's about to say to what he just said. So in order to understand the significance of what he's about to tell us to do, let's go back and look at what he's, ref- what he's coming out of in his discussion before we look at what he's telling us to do. So we'll go back to verse 18 of chapter 1. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Isn't that exciting? Well, we're in a war whether you realize it or not. So we're in a warfare. Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith and have suffered shipwreck. So Paul is writing this to Timothy saying, continue to wage the good warfare. Fight the good fight because there are some that have, that have abandoned the faith. There are some that are chasing after doctrines and teachings that are not based in Scripture, and they're becoming shipwrecked. So there's a challenge, there's an attack, a war coming at people in the church, Christians. And we're going through that right now. We'll talk a little more about that on Sunday. And there's a, there's a challenge. So he said, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith. So they've rejected the faith, and they've suffered shipwrecked of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now listen to this. We, this is what preach a message on this one. Whom I have delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. There's an amazing authority that God gives in the church, but it's got to be exercised for godly purposes and by godly men and women. And now he says, therefore, because of this, because there's a battle going on in the church, because there's a battle going on for people's faith, therefore I exhort you, first of all, for all supplication, prayers and intercessions, those are just different versions of the same thing, in the giving of thanks be made for all men. Now look at this. For kings and all who are in authority that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And I'm about to step on some toes, but it's God's Word. We're living in a time when people form their own opinion of what we ought to do and not do instead of submitting to what God has said. And I want to apply that tonight in terms of what He has told us to do here. He's not suggested it. This is not a good idea. This is God's Word to the church. That first of all, we offer up supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men and for kings, for all who are in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So first of all, for all, for, for all kings. Now I, want, I was thinking about this today. When Paul writes this, I looked up who was, their, who was the king at this time. See, we're living in a challenging, difficult time, and people are complaining about the government's doing this and the government's doing that. This was infinitely worse 
the king at that time was an emperor and his name was Nero. Nero was the most ungodly emperor that Rome had. He was the most licentious. He was the lewdest. Nero had members of his family executed because he just didn't like them. He became insane. Nero's the one that started losing popularity because even his own people began to dislike him because he was so vile. So in order to increase his popularity, he set Rome on fire and then blamed the Christians. That's why he had them persecuted and martyred because he was punishing them for setting Rome on fire when he did it in order to promote his own popularity. This is the king. Paul is telling Timothy to pray for. Notice what he's not telling him to do. He's not telling him to criticize him. He's not telling him to badmouth him. Would he been in t- what, what did he was he would he would, would, would he earn that kind of criticism? Absolutely. But that's not what God's telling him to do. And so many Christians have their own opinion about the president or the vice president or the Supreme Court or our congressmen or our governors or our leaders. We have our, are we entitled to have an opinion? Yes, but I want to share something with you about that, what God spoke to me about. And what God began to deal with me is I was not praying for these leaders. Oh, I would every once in a while throw some prayer because I knew it was supposed to. He says, but you've not put your heart into it. You're not really praying for this president. And I'm not getting into whether I agree with him or disagree with him because this commandment has nothing to do with that. And the issue is this. Are we willing to mature enough as Christians where we'll do what God says to do and throw away our own ideas of what we think is right and wrong? Because there are too many Christians that are governed by what they think is right or wrong or whether, how many likes or approvals they get on Facebook or how many people agree with them. And all of that is not only unscriptural, it's ungodly and it's unchristian. Amen. And Sunday I'm going to talk about the warnings the Bible gives about that. Because it's time we wake up and it's time we grow up. So if you don't want to hear that, I can recommend some other churches to you you might like to go because you'll hear a nice message that will make you feel good. But there's a day coming. There's a day coming when feeling good won't matter. But it's what we did that will matter. And I've just leaked the subject for Sunday's message. It's called That Day. All right. I'm not popular, but this is God's Word. Now, here's my journey with this. I didn't like it either. But I've made a commitment, and it's not that I'm perfect at this. I've made a commitment that if I disagree with God's Word, I'm going to do what God's Word said, not with what I want or what I think's right. Because what I think's right doesn't matter. It's whether I'm obedient to what God says to do. And the strength that I have and the courage that I have comes only from that because it's not in myself. So I began to do this. I began to get on my face and I began to pray for the president. 
I began to pray. I remember there was a point at which uh, earlier this summer, it was in June, because that's when these decisions comes out, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, didn't hand out a decision. They refused to act on an injunction that affected the, 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 the relationship between government and churches. It had to do with a church in, in, in uh, Nevada where the government was restricting the number of people that they could have in their church service and they'd done everything you could do to be clean and the governor said, no, you can't have more than that many people. And so they, they went through the court process, appealed to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court refused to give them the injunction. The, the minority judges really nailed it because they said what this, what this governor has decided to do because they, he allowed the casinos to be open without any limitations. And he said for the sake of money you're allowing the casinos to be treated differently than the church and there's no legal basis for that distinction. So I was mad at that. I was mad at Justice Roberts who, who was put in there I think by, governor, by President Bush. I was... No, who would, anyway, uh, and, 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 and I was mad at him. And the Lord dealt with me. He said, you have no right to be mad at them because you've not prayed for them. And I had to repent. There was another governor. I was traveling to a state. And this governor passed a regulation that for me to go to that state, I had to get tested. My wife and I had to get test, tested for the COVID thing. And I didn't want to do that. But I did it because that's what was required. And I was mad at this governor because of some things that this governor had said. And the Lord dealt with me. He says, you've not prayed for that governor. So you have no right before me to judge her or be upset at her until you have prayed for her. So I started doing that. And here's an amazing thing I found. This is why I'm sharing this with you. I found... Not just, you know, Lord, bless them, take care of them, give them wisdom. As I began to open my heart and really pray for them, I found God begin to engage with me and reveal His heart towards them. And I began to learn, feel God's heart towards these people that He's called us to pray for because there's things He wants to do in their lives and through them and he cannot do them until his people ask him to do it. That's what we've still not got about prayer. God, the almighty, all-powerful God cannot do what he wants to do in this earth until his people ask him and give him entrance into this. The reason for that is in the very beginning God delegated the authority over this earth to that first man and woman. And when Satan came in, they turned that authority over to him, and Jesus came to win it back for the church. So we stand in the same position Jesus did by authorizing God to do what he wants to do in the earth. And God can't do it. I'm not saying there aren't exceptions. But God needs you and me to work in the lives of these leaders what he wants to do. And as I began to be obedient to this word, I began to experience God engaging in my intercession in a way I never had before. And it made me want to get to do that. It made me want to begin to pray because the more I intercede for other people, the more I begin to know God's heart and experience God's heart for people. Now notice what he goes on to say here. The, the, the benefit 
of this. There's a benefit to being obedient to what God's telling us to do here. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. I usually read that over that quickly and say, all right, if I pray for these leaders, they'll do what they're supposed to do, and they'll leave me alone, I can have a quiet and peaceable life. And maybe that's true, but I think there's more than that he's saying here. He's talking not about that they're necessarily going to do things that leave my life alone, but when I begin to pray for people that I may not like, when I begin to pray for people that I may not agree with, when I begin to pray for them because God said to pray for them, it changes me. Because now I begin to experience God's heart for people that I would have just judged so quickly because I'm going on basis on what the news says about them and what I think about them and whether I'm a Republican or a Democrat and they're the opposite party or whatever. And we judge people, especially public people, based on... I remember years ago there was a... The prior pastor, the one before me, was teaching somewhere around the, 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 um, an election. And I was the associate pastor at the time. I was passing by, and there, by out in the fort, and some woman stormed out of here. She was mad. She said, you know, I think it was, it was, he was, she, he was, he'd said, I don't know what he said, but anyway, she was mad at President Bush, the second Bush. And she's, he's so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. I said, okay, can I ask you a question? When did you meet him last? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're talking about things, character things, <clears throat> that in my experience, you can really only know by having to got to know somebody. She said, well, I've never met him. I said, then how do you know that about him? Because you only know that because of things you've heard and read other people's opinion who don't know him either. What I'm finding is you begin to pray for people, you get around the media, you get around the images that have been formed in our minds, and you begin to get what's really only important, and that's how God sees people. Then, so the quiet and peaceable life, I believe, is more than just the government will leave us alone. It's that we become quiet and peaceable on the inside in the middle of turmoil. Remember, Paul's telling them to pray for a king who is Nero, the emperor of Rome, at a time of great debauchery and great, infinitely worse than what we may be dealing with today. Infinitely worse. A quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. And look at this, reverence. One of the major qualities that's lacking in Christians is reverence for authority. What we don't, I'm going to get into this more Sunday, what we don't understand is what's important to God is not what's important to so much of the church. We're all concerned with right and wrong and who did this and who did that. God's main concern is love and where, how we deal with authority. Because if we don't learn to be reverent of authority, we can't possibly be reverent of God's authority. So what I'm saying here is the benefit of obeying this commandment to pray for our leaders. I don't mean just, I mean really Ask God, show me what you want me to pray for them. The benefit of this is what it does for us. It causes us to be quiet on the inside. It causes us to be peaceable on the inside because we're connected with God's heart and it teaches us reverence. Verse 3 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight 
of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. So that's one of the things I pray for them, for their soul. That matters to God. That matters to God. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we're going to do that. I just want to encourage you to begin... Oh, I know what I want to share. So then God really challenged me because what He's taking is scriptures where He's told me certain people to pray for and He's telling me to begin to pray for them. Now, I'm a pastor. And as a pastor, I'm a somewhat public figure, at least public in terms of people that come here or have come here. And so I can become the target of what people don't like or don't agree with, whether I had anything to do with it or not. And they can take pot shots at me on Facebook and public things like that, and, or even sometimes they'll, they'll say it directly to me. But it's amazing how few people say things directly to me. I don't want to get off on that. God's told me, take me to the Word, which I'll talk a little bit on Sunday, and He's told me to begin to pray for those people who have done things against me. Pray for those people who've said things against me. Pray for those people who have hurt me to pray for those people who have hurt this church, to pray for people that have hurt people that are, va- that are precious to me, to begin to pray for them instead of criticizing them, instead of judging them, to begin to pray for them. And you know, I found an amazing thing happened as I've begun to do that. The same thing that happened in praying for the leaders, the president and the Supreme Court and the leaders in Congress. I pick especially the congressional leaders that I don't like and pray for them. So I'm on, I'm, on a, I'm on a hunt to find people I don't like to pray for. So if I tell you someday I've been praying for you, you won't, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but I'm using it. It is the most powerful weapon you can use because it stops Satan in his tracks. Because Satan's number one weapon against the church is strife. You heard a little bit about this on Sundays, division. It's strife. But it's not just his weapon against the church, it's his weapon against you to destroy the faith and the, and the, and the work of God in your heart. That's why God says to guard your heart with all diligence. So I found as I begin to pray for some of these people, I'm, again, I don't mean just throw, I mean really pray. And not pray, God, get them, God, straighten them out. God, bless them. God, prosper them. God, bless that church that they went to. God, bless their family. Not God, straighten them out. God, bless them. Cause them to grow. Cause them to prosper where they are. And it began to change me because I began to get a taste again of the heart of God. The love of God for people is so amazing. It's so sacrificial the things God takes that we say against Him and we do against Him, the things Jesus put up with and took when they mocked Him and they beat Him and they plucked His beard and they mocked Him for being a king and He's the one that created them. But He took it because He was walking in that love of God, that love of God that's at a different dimension. And when you begin to pray for people, And when you're praying for your family and people that like you, and people that, good, that's good to do. But the real growth comes when you do the things Jesus said, to do good to your enemy, to pray for those who despitefully use you. Think about that. 
people. To your, you know, people can harm you that don't know they're harming you. People can hurt you that don't know they're hurting you. People just disagree with you and make it public. But there are some people that despitefully, despitefully used you and harmed you. That means they set out to do it to make them feel better by hurting you. And Jesus says to pray for them. And he goes on and tells us why. That you might be like your Father who is in heaven. So we're going to do this tonight. We're going to pray for our leaders. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to start us out. And then I've taken longer than I normally would to teach because I really felt this was important. And again, I want to go back. I, this has come to me because I simply decided, Lord, I need to learn to intercede more effectively. And, as I, and the only way to do that is to just start doing it. And when you start to do it, your mind, your flesh will walk. You'll tell you you're hungry. You're not getting anywhere. Just set some time. I'm going to do this for five minutes. I'm going to do this for ten minutes. Even if I don't, nothing comes to me. I'm going to do this. And as you discipline yourself to do this, what will happen is the Spirit of God will gradually begin to grit through to you. The other thing I've learned to do is to begin to have a pattern in my prayer. So I thought Jesus said to not do that. No, he said to not have meaningless repetitious prayers because then he taught us a pattern for prayer. And so I go, basically go through the Lord's Prayer. But I let my, the heart, my spirit, lead me off into different things about it. So if you have some kind of framework that you're going to go through, it helps you stay focused. And the Lord's Prayer is a great thing to do that with. And just pray it slowly and allow the Spirit of God to begin to give you ideas. And then people may come to you, begin to pray for them. Something may come to you because you're opening your heart up to the Spirit to begin to lead you. And as you get more confidence in this, then you'll find that that time time will extend. So, all right. We're going to begin to do this right now. We're going to pray tonight for our leaders. We're going to pray tonight for, for our government. And then we're going to pray for some other things. And then I'm going to let you loose for a few minutes to pray for your own needs or whatever comes to your heart. So let's, let's you can walk around, whatever you're going to do. So, Father, we come to you tonight. And, and we come, Lord, or Lord as, a, as a church here tonight. And, and we're telling you that we need to learn. We want to learn how to do what they did in, in the book of Acts. How they came together of one accord and they really sought you. They didn't know what they were asking for. They just knew Jesus told them to wait. And then, then in chapter 4 we see how they came together because the church was under attack and they were confused and their leaders had been arrested and they didn't know what to do. And when they didn't know what to do, they did know what to do, which is they came to you in their innocence and they came to you in the openness of their heart and they came to you out of a real heartfelt need and they just ask you, for what they needed. One of our greatest needs right now, Father, is we need to learn as a church, as a body of believers here, how to come together and to pray together. Whether they're watching online or they're physically here together. And so, Father, the confidence we can have tonight is we're going to pray what your words told us to pray. So we know it's already your will. And Lord, we may struggle because we may have our own opinions about some of these people. We may like them or not like them. And we ask you to remove all politics from what we're doing right now because you don't mention politics in here.
you mentioned your will being done. Because Lord, we want to learn in the midst of all this chaos to live a quiet and a peaceable life. And we want to learn to live in reverence. Because reverence for you comes from reverence from authorities that you have established. And so, Father, we come first of all for our president, Father. It has nothing to do with whether we like him, dislike him, agree with him or not. We've come because he's serving in an office that you have ordained. The authority that he's exercising is an authority that you have established. And there needs to be a godly fear in exercising that. Father, we have no idea the pressure that comes with that office. We have no idea the spiritual pressure that comes against that, the man or woman in that office. We have no idea, Lord, the pressures that are against that office right now. The spiritual pressures, the natural pressures. And Lord, no man, no woman, no matter how strong they are in their own person, is strong enough to stand against these pressures. They need your strength. They need your wisdom. And they need, Father, to recognize, first of all, that the authority they're exercising has come from you and that there will be an account that has to be given for how they've exercised this. Have they exercised this in a way that's pleasing to you, that accomplishes your purpose? And we pray for our president, Lord. He may well not know how to do that, but we're asking you to give him wisdom to give him the grace and the understanding to see and recognize these things. We can't possibly know what's going on in his heart and going on in his mind. But you can look into that and you can speak into that. And so we're asking you to do that. Father, your word says that as, as you can turn the path of a stream or a river, you can turn the heart of a king. And we pray for the heart of our president. Father, that you would direct it, turn it, work it in ways that are pleasing to you and with your purposes. We pray for your protection over him and over his family, but especially a spiritual protection because above all things, Satan would want to come against the highest authority in this land and to use it for his purposes. We pray for the people, Father, that you've placed around him to support him and to encourage him, and to give him wisdom, godly wisdom. Give him the discernment to know who to listen to and whom not to listen to. We pray for people, Father, that may be placed in the White House or in the executive offices that, that, are, that are your children, that know you, that are sensitive to your spirit, Father, that they would bring into their offices the light of the truth, the light of the love of God and the peace of God and the wisdom of God that you would bring influences, Father, into these places of authority and places of power that CNN would never know about and Fox News would never know about and our world media would never know about, but that you're working behind the scenes. Father, we don't care what public opinion is. We care that your will be done in his life, in the lives of the other leaders. Father, we pray for the members of the Supreme Court. Father, they're serving in in one of the highest offices in this land and they're not subject to anybody. But Father, they're serving with an authority that's, that's an authority that you've established. And they've been trained, Father, in different ways of thinking of jurisprudence. 
But we ask you to open their eyes to recognize that the authority they exercise has come from you and that there is a higher authority to which they will give an account, an authority that's above and beyond them and they will learn, they will begin to become aware that they have a responsibility to you for the decisions that they make. We pray for people that may be situated within the Supreme Court's offices, their clerks and others, that may have an influence, Father, that you've strategically placed, that they may have an influence on these justices and that you would give these people boldness and wisdom and the power of your spirit to bring your light and your truth and your love and your peace into these places of power. Father, we pray for our Congress, our Senate, and our House of Representatives, especially for those that are in leadership and influential positions. We pray for Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. Father, she stands in a place that puts her third in authority in the event that some disaster should happen. She wields tremendous authority, Father, and we ask you to open the eyes of her understanding to recognize that that authority she has has come from you and for your purposes. Help her to recognize, Father, the responsibility that she has to you for which she will give an account for how she exercises that authority and that influence. And for all the other leaders of authority within the House of Representatives. And we pray, Father, for those leaders in the Senate, for Mitch McConnell and the others that are in leadership positions of heads of important committees and that wield power and authority. We ask you to do the same thing for them, Father. Open their eyes to recognize as you speak into their hearts, Father, whether it's a a word that they hear from somebody in their office or somewhere else that jolts them and alerts them and awakes them. Wait a minute. I'm not the final authority here. This is not about me. And that they hear a word that the Spirit of God works into their hearts a fear of the Lord, a reverence for the responsibility that you have entrusted to them. And then as they do that, that they would turn to you for the wisdom that they need to exercise that authority in a godly manner, in a manner that pleases you, Father. We pray for their souls. For above all, Father, your word says you care for their souls. We're so used to seeing them as political figures that we either applaud or we dislike or we disapprove of or we say, but their souls to you above everything else. And you care for them. Jesus died for their souls, Father. We pray for their souls and the souls of their family, Lord. We pray for our local governors those that are in the highest authority in Rhode Island and Massachusetts, those are the, 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 the states that influence this body most of all. We pray for Governor Baker right now, Father, the governor that oversees this commonwealth that this building and this church is located in. Father, as with Governor Raimondo, they didn't, they didn't bargain for these issues. They didn't, when they ran for office, they didn't bargain for these things that they're dealing with right now. And in the natural that's over their head. But Father, they need your strength and they need your wisdom. And they need your grace. As with the other leaders we prayed for, we ask you, Father, 
to open their eyes to recognize that this is something they can't do in their own strength, that they need people. They need help. But most of all, they need godly counsel. And we ask you to help them to discern who to listen to and who not to listen to. We pray, Father, that you would help them to stand against the spiritual forces that try to push and pull to gain dominance over the governing of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And that you strengthen Governor Baker and those that help him to stand and to do what's right in your eyes. Give him wisdom, Father, to make the decisions for bringing the schools back that affects the, the health and the welfare and the education of thousands of children, the next generation. Father, they're trying to make decisions that they don't have the answers to and they need your wisdom and they need your grace and they need your patience, Father. We pray for Governor Baker that you surround him with people, Lord, that, that, that are sensitive to your spirit and can give him godly counsel and godly advice and godly assurance, Father, and godly encouragement. We pray for Governor Romando, Father, almost half the people of this body are, in, are, are residents of the state that she has the responsibility to oversee and that responsibility, that authority is an authority that you've established that she operates in. And we pray the same thing for her. We pray for her soul and that of her family. We pray that you'd keep her safe and her family safe, Father, so she's not distracted by personal issues that wear her down. And Father, again, she did not, go, she did not bargain to be in the middle of all these issues and overwhelmed by all these issues. And help her to recognize, Lord, that she's not enough in herself and the humility that's needed to ask for and to receive help and especially help from you. Father, the safety, the welfare of your people and all the people that you love and care for so much is now in her hands. And for their sake especially, we pray that you give her wisdom and the grace to recognize how to navigate through these things. We pray as she makes the decisions, Father, regarding the opening of schools, that again, as within Massachusetts, it affects the well-being and the health of thousands of children and teachers, Father, and their welfare of this next generation. And Satan would love to get at and destroy this next generation. And Father, the decisions of what to do that affects them is in the hands of this governor. And she needs your help. And she needs your grace. Father, we ask you to surround her with men and women. We know, Father, at least one that you place there to help her. Father, we have a member of this church that you have placed in a strategic position. And we pray for her tonight, Father, that you continue to encourage her and give her strength. We pray for her, Father, tonight that you would continue to give her not just her natural wisdom that she has through the medical training and the experience, but your wisdom, Father, that's resident within her. And the wisdom and the grace to know how to tune into that in the midst of all the things that are surrounding her and pressuring her. We pray for her family, Father, for her son and her husband. Father, that you would strengthen and keep their family strong, Father, because these pressures that can wear against leaders, Lord, can take a toll on their family. 
And we pray, Father, for your grace through this time. And we thank you, Father. Father, we just ask you for all of us that have done what I've done in the past and so many of us have done. We've been critical of our leaders without really understanding what they're facing and what's un- what the issues that are going on. Because it's so easy in our flesh to join in with these things. It makes us feel good and superior and it feeds our pride. But Father, it takes humility to put all that aside and to put all us, our private issues aside and to be obedient, to open our hearts to allow you to flow through us. And so, Lord, to the extent that we've not done this, we repent before you. We ask you to forgive us because we bear part of the responsibility for the things that have not gone right because we've not done what you've called us to do. And so help us to remember and to go forward and to be obedient to you. Father, we turn now to pray for other churches in the area and for the pastors of these other churches, Father, because they're standing in positions where you've entrusted to them men and women who are your children, who love you, who are struggling with going through this difficult time, who are dealing with their personal issues, Father, whether it's fear or it's the economy or it's the loss of job or or whatever all these pressures are, Father. And these men are charged, women are charged with leading and comforting and directing the people of God that you've entrusted to them. And more than that, Father, not just to be there to strengthen them and encourage them, but to oversee what you want to do in this opportunity that's opened up as the world is struggling and recognizing that it doesn't have the answers, it doesn't have the ability, it doesn't have what it takes in itself. And the door is wide open, the opportunity is wide open for your church to rise up and be strong and be bold in love, in grace, in peace as a witness that you are real, that you are love, and that you have the answer through Jesus Christ. And so we pray for boldness for the churches, boldness for this church, wisdom to know how to step into that, into that place, wisdom to know how to move in to what you've called us to do, how to get from where we are to where you want us to go. We pray for the pastors of this area for that wisdom. And we pray for the body of Christ at large here in Rhode Island and Massachusetts that we would rise up and have a heart and a desire to learn to truly pray. Not just say prayers, not just to go through some formula, but truly engage your heart and our heart with your heart in what's important to you and for the Holy Spirit to teach us and to enable us to do these things. And now, Father, in the time we have left, I'm going to release us all here, those at home and those here, just to begin to go around and pray for whatever is on our hearts right now and just to open our hearts to you and maybe it's to talk with you over the things that we've talked about tonight and maybe there's some things that you want to say to us personally. So I'm going to release you now. Those of you that are online, please don't turn it off. This is a very important time when God may want to do some things 
in, in your heart and those of you that are here with me. And then we'll come back in, in a few minutes and we'll begin to close this out. Father, as we begin to bring this to a close, we began by coming to you and asking you to guide us tonight and to lead us in what was shared as well as what is prayed. And we know when we ask that that you've heard us and that therefore we have what we've asked you to do. And so we're confident now, Father, that what we've come to you about, you've heard us. And as we continue to come to you on these things, we, I'm asking you, as I just have a few minutes ago, that you begin to teach us, or in some cases continue to teach us how to pray for other people. That your spirit begin to engage our hearts and we learn, Father, what the old timers called a spirit of prayer where we get the spirit of, your spirit gets a hold of us in prayer and begins to engage us with your heart and what matters to you begins to matter to us and we begin to pour it out. Teach us, Lord, how to do this. Father, your word that we quote so often when we're praying for this nation is if your people are called by your name and then we forget the rest of this, would humble ourselves and prayer that prayer requires us to humble ourselves, to acknowledge what we don't know, acknowledge what we can't do, and to acknowledge who you are. Teach us that humility, Father. Your people are so full of confidence and so full of, of pride in many ways, many ways we don't even recognize. And then your word says to turn from our wicked ways. We're, we're so often our hearts are hardened that we don't even realize what we look like, our hearts look like to you because we're so accustomed to that and to each other. And then if we would seek your face, seek your face, Lord, not your hand, not your provision. We talk and sing so much about what you've done for us, and that's wonderful. But teach us how to seek your face, to come to you for what pleases you, to reverence and honor you, to treasure and value you, and to do what you've called us to do, what you desire us to do above all things, which is to love you with all of our heart, with all of our might, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all of our being, to love you above everything else. Then you promised to hear from heaven and to heal our land. I believe, Father, you're waiting for your church to do what you've asked us to do before you can do what we're asking you to do. Help us to come to that place. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Two things we're going to do before we close. Those of you online, those of you that may be here, those of you that are here, I think I know every one of you. But those of you that are online, I talked a few minutes ago about praying for the leaders. He says in this word we read tonight, 
that, that he desires above all things that all men be saved. And we prayed for the souls of our leaders, but maybe there's someone watching tonight because above what's paramount to God's heart, above everything else, is your soul. Is that your soul is his, belongs to him. Jesus came to this earth that he might restore a right relationship between you and God, your creator, so that he could become God, your father. Jesus came, and on that cross, Jesus took your sin.